Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a realm where reality intertwines with the inexplicable, where the boundaries of reason dissolve into the shadows of uncertainty. Welcome to the political twilight zone. I am your guide to this enigmatic labyrinth, where politics and power take on life of their own. In this dimension, the threads of truth weave a tapestry of intrigue, challenging our perception of the world we thought we knew. In this world, nothing is as it seems, and the truth lies buried beneath layers of deceit. Prepare to venture where reason meets the unexplained, and where the unexplained might just be. Hello, everybody. Back again. Another week goes by here. It's Rick Widener getting it right on KNZZ, KGLN, and that's four radio stations, if you only two, because they're AM and FM, plus the Internet and a few other things. And, of course, you can get the show's podcast on our uh, website or on iTunes or Amazon or Podbeam or two or three others. Uh, in case you miss it or you want to send it to somebody, and we're trying to do a little extra content as well. So welcome. Uh, another week that uh, comes by with uh, too much to talk about. It's not good to have too much to talk about when you're doing a political talk show. Uh, it's seldom good news. You know, it's seldom things that are like, hey, it's going great. You know, things are happening just like we want them to. No, that's not usually the case. So, of course, uh, everybody's talked this week about uh, good old Kevin McCarthy and getting ousted by uh, the Internet meme calls in the hateful eight. I'm not sure I agree with that necessarily, but I keep seeing that pop up. I also, and I'm going to read these here because I've had several people ask me to name the eight together because apparently in the news, it's been hard to get this all eight. They probably did it the first thing, and then when you start paying attention again after you hear it, they end up talking to one or two people. So I thought we'd go through it anyway because I've had a couple people ask me. So... Here's the list. It is an exhaustive list in that it is, in fact, the eight uh, Republicans voted with Democrats to uh, who, of course, voted in lockstep because that's how they work uh, to remove uh, Kevin McCarthy. And they are Andy Biggs of Arizona, Ken Buck of Colorado. I have a little bit more to say about Ken Buck in a minute. Tim Burchett from Tennessee, Eli Crane from Arizona, the inimitable Matt Gates from Florida, Bob Good from Virginia, and a surprising little bit to me, Nancy Mace from South Carolina, and Matt Rosendale, who is the congressman from Wyoming. No, Montana, excuse me. That's what I'm thinking about. So that's who they are, right? Now, there's a couple names on there that I I was not surprised uh, to see. Ken Buck, not really surprising for a Colorado uh, representative. It... uh, it's getting to be a little bluer here all the time, and I'm worried that Ken Buck is turning a little purple, but he's uh, he's just an unusual guy. I met him years ago when I was a, a prosecutor, and he was the district attorney in Greeley. And he seemed like an okay guy, you know, a little, I don't know, stern isn't the word I'm looking for, but you didn't get a lot out of him. But uh, I liked him fine at the time. So uh, seeing some of his positions is, you know, this one's a, a tiny bit surprising. I mean, I'm not really that surprised, I guess, as I said earlier, if I think about it. But, you know, he uh, he's had some strange votes lately. And, uh, for instance, he's one of only two uh, Republicans that uh, voted against the impeachment inquiry. He just didn't think we should do it, which I personally disagree with because I think we may not want to rush into impeachment, but uh, the inquiry is necessary because there's just really no way to get this information any other way. And I also understand that we have a lot of regular business to take care of. And 
and endless exposition on investigating people is usually not the best way to get business done. And we could see that by what they were doing with Trump. This is different because there's actual evidence here. I mean, real evidence about what's going on with Hunter, certainly, and certainly enough circumstantial evidence to implicate Joe. I mean, if you want to look at it, it seems to me that it's, it's pretty much there. But, I mean, they want to fare a little bit more out. I watched a little of the hearing last week, I think, and the questions were, of course, insulting and attacking to the Republican witnesses, they called, Jonathan Turley being one of them. But then they also had this strange approach where some of them would read into the record articles from, like, Fox or this or that, where they cherry-picked phrases out of it, says, well, there's no direct evidence that Joe Biden was involved. And they wouldn't put that in the record. And then they would also ask the witnesses if they had any firsthand knowledge, if there's a firsthand witness, rather, uh, of one of these things. In other words, was someone standing there when a Chinese agent gave a envelope full of what looked like money to Joe? And, of course, there isn't anybody that does that, and it's pretty hard to find anyway. So there's, like, no hand-to-hand transaction that they've come up with. But they thought that was it. Well, that's it. You know, if you don't have that, nothing happened. The hypocritical piece of that is, look at the nonsense that they generated about Trump under both his, quote, impeachments, and what little evidence they had of anything. They didn't really have any evidence, and the evidence that they were trying to put forward turned out not to be true, and people kept saying it wasn't true from the get-go. So now, all of a sudden, they're very difficult to convince. Yes, they want uh, direct evidence, you know. As I've said before, if hypocrisy was a fatal disease... Washington, D.C., around the Capitol, would be empty. It would be a little like something uh, off of uh, like The Walking Dead, except that there wouldn't be anybody walking. It's it's a little breathtaking sometimes when you see how these guys can turn on a dime and apparently have no memory whatsoever of their positions and their philosophy on those positions eh, just a year ago. That's apparently way too long in the past. But, you know, here we are. Well, and, and if we're going to get into an interesting change besides McCarthy. I mean, look at Biden on the uh, quote border wall. Now, I don't actually think Joe Biden makes his mind up about anything because he doesn't know where it's at, so he can't really make it up. But whoever is uh, back there making decisions decided that having all of these Democrats in these blue cities, you know, mighty blue cities, complaining that they're not doing anything about the migrant crisis now that they actually have migrants uh, coming into their cities, they're undocumented, as they would say. I would say illegal aliens, but uh, that's I'm not even sure they're allowed to say that anymore. But now that they're being stuck with it, and it's especially bad for them. Because, you see, it, it's like Johnson in Chicago and Adams in New York. They're incapable of running the city normally. If everything's going right, they're incapable of running it. They're going to screw stuff up. So you put some kind of problem in front of them, and they will be unable to solve it in any meaningful way. And the only thing that they can do to solve a problem, if you ask them, is more funding. That's right. More funding needs to be found on this. We're just about to figure this out. We're right on the edge of solving this problem. If we just had some more funding from the federal government, hopefully tax dollars from people in Utah and Colorado and stuff, you know, and we'll we'll figure this out. Now, we haven't figured it out before. 
We've spent enormous amounts of money and had really nothing to show for it. But this time, we'll get, you know, that's that's what it comes for. This week, Mayor Adams from New York City is in Mexico City trying to, uh, in his mind, which is a lonely place, I think, uh, get Mexico to somehow uh, convince people not to come to the United States and to avoid New York if they do. <laughs> New York's just not the place for you anymore, especially since just a year ago, not even a year. You know, he's talked about how welcoming he was. Remember when the first buses arrived from Texas when they sent them up there? Now, bear in mind, only about 13% of the people that are illegal aliens in that have come into New York in the last 10 months or so uh, have come from Texas. Most of them just come on their own. And but remember how they, they were had a welcoming committee at the buses and uh, one of the commissioners of this office of uh, migrant affairs or something. Other was shaking people's hands. They came off the buses and so forth. Yeah, that's not happening anymore. And there's a real outcry in New York and even in Chicago from a lot of the neighbors out there of where they're trying to put these shelters up. Uh, they're now putting them in parks. I saw also we're in California, by the way, uh, this sort of a related topic, that the Fresno Teachers Unions would like to uh, allow uh, homeless encampments in the parking lot at their high schools. So you got that going for you. But now that the, there's really people are actually there, not so much. So they've somehow convinced Joe's handlers that uh, they should build the wall. Wow. That sounds like a pretty good idea. It sounds like somebody else had that before. But you see, he he would have done it. He's only doing it. He's got a very confused message on this about why he's doing it. Uh, you know, he's he's doing it because he has to, because of the funding, and he's doing. You know, it's it doesn't make any sense. But then anything he says does. We'll be back. All right, we're back. We're back. We're back. Thanks a lot for sticking around. Appreciate it. We're uh, back on the air here. I, we were talking about uh, Joe Biden in the last segment and. Uh, Going to build the border border wall. Golly, like I said, it seemed like somebody else had that idea, too. And uh, he called it ridiculous and a waste of money and all kinds of things in the past. Now, uh, and I as alluded to this in the last segment, he, his explanations for why he needs to build it are very confusing. Something about, you know, that the money's already allocated and this and that. And then uh, last week, uh, his uh, press secretary, KJP, Jean-Pierre, of course, uh, came out and had just a bunch of gibberish about it uh, and blamed Republicans uh, for the fact that it hadn't been built yet. <laughs> and also said that Republicans were the ones behind the uh, <laughs> behind the idea to defund law enforcement because they wouldn't they didn't want to pay for as part of the Department of Homeland Security's budget because unfortunately that's an agency that is really kind of hard to figure out what they're priorities are in terms of who are the bad guys and that was uh supposedly you know the reason that uh, republicans are responsible for the border crisis uh, it was pitiful i mean it's not even worth being upset about it just it's just pitiful i mean i don't know how else to put it and so i was <laughs> i was looking and you know in order to build the border wall down now that the uh you know now that the democrat cities are going crazy because they are unable to handle what they were so happy to say they were, which is sanctuary cities, they're they're so upset that uh, they you know finally got Biden to do something. It's a shame all those poor people in Texas that have it about ten times worse uh, weren't apparently on his radar. 
Uh, we have Eric Adams, as I said, you know, down in Latin America, you know, trying to, you know, get on TV and stuff and tell people, you know, not to come. Look, this guy is a celebrity in his own mind. He sees himself as uh, the mayor second and kind of a celebrity first. And he likes to go to all the cool places and, you know, the galas and, uh, you know, there's just not much going on up there uh, above the neck with the guy except uh, big pictures of himself floating around. So he's going to go down there and get on television and so forth, you know, his favorite things. And it's going to absolutely do nothing except waste money having him down there. Now, if they could just leave him down there, it might be a little better, although the city is so terribly run. I mean, it's just when you look at even a momentary look at their budget, how much they spend on things, they're going to spend billions on uh, the migrant crisis. There's 100,000 of them in there. There, it's it's you know they they couldn't manage uh, a lemonade stand and not go out of business the next day, just couldn't. If it weren't for taxes that they can force people to pay, uh, if they were in a regular business where customers had to be satisfied in some way and the prices had to be reasonable, oof, no way. Anyway, but I was looking at uh, old Joe to get this thing built, even though the Republicans have been against this, you know they didn't want the border closed. Oof. Good Lord. He had to waive 26 federal laws and regulations to build it. All these things have been put up over time and used to try and stop the ball being built by Trump or anybody else. So now that Joe wants to complete part of it, uh, he's trying to waive these 26 laws and regulations that they put up to try and stop it before. So I think that tells a story all by itself, right? And it's it's just... It's too much sometimes. And like I said before, uh, it, is if you just change your position 180 degrees like it never happened the other way, is that a lie or is that just a mental defect <laughs> or a, a lack of character? I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting question how you characterize that. So since we're talking about wasting money, sort of, uh, you know, parenthetically here, I thought I'd bring something up that we seem to keep forgetting about, which is the national debt. It gets, uh, you know, spoken about once in a while. It was a big topic with Reagan, and we heard some of it with Clinton and a little peep here and there with Obama, but we hear something about it, but there's just a few voices. There's a, so many other issues out there, but this is pretty chilling. I mean, I, I took a look at this to let you guys know. As of this month, the national debt is $33.17 trillion. That means for every dollar of economic output in our GDP in a year, you know, every dollar of economic output in the whole country, the government owes a dollar and 23 cents. Do you know any kind of business or anything that uh, could stay in business where for every dollar they make, they spend a dollar 23? No, you don't. Only government. And here's the thing. Our debt to what we produce each year is 122%. That's right. Our our debt is 122.8% of what we produce in a year. The whole country. You know, in a minute, I calculated this. The national debt increases by $2.7 million every minute. Probably increased by $250,000 when I said that. That's based on the current rate of increase. 
which is, by the way, about $51 billion per month. That's debt. You know, so I also calculate if the national debt continues to increase at its current rate, right, uh, it will equal 100% of our gross domestic product for a year in about two years. So there you go. Now, what does that do? And by the way, the gross domestic product comes from goods and services. Well, it makes us obviously beholding to people who we borrow money from, much of which is overseas. It also contributes to inflation because as the government borrows more and more money and pumps it out there, what what is wrong with that? Well, you guys know, apparently you should write a letter to your congresspeople because they don't, is that when you borrow money because you're not producing enough, you're bringing money essentially into the country or printing it based on your lending. Things It exceeds your production, which means it's excess money over what you're producing, which means there's more money out there and the goods which you are producing remain the same. More money, same goods, prices go up. So that's what happens. Also, as the debt to GDP ratio continues to increase, lenders may decide they need higher interest rates because of the risk that we may not pay it back or we may be slow or whatever, so they can ask for higher interest rates on the financing of our debt, which we have to do. And so uh, more and more of the yearly budget becomes directed towards the national debt, paying those payments down. You're not really paying anything down or just paying the interest. And as, as that continues, there's less and less funds available for other programs. And I don't mean just programs. I mean things like, oh, I don't know, the military, uh, you know, protecting the border. There's a whole lot of things the government's supposed to do that they seem to think is pretty, you know, low on their totem pole in terms of uh, what they think is important. But there's less and less money available for that as you pay more for the debt financing. So it's, it, it is a, it's a real problem. And it's much more of a problem than it was in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was really talking about it. I mean, if they thought it would get like this, I think everybody would have just passed out. And we're just chugging along here. And if we lose the, the, uh, we're probably kind of nice to get the Senate, but if we, keep the Senate in the same way it is now during this next election cycle. And if we lose the House, I'm willing to put a dollar to a donut uh, that the Democrats will pass another act, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, Full Employment for Democrats Act, whatever it is, which will essentially be more money that they'll distribute uh, in an effort to really just buy votes for the next election. They're Ability to look down the road and plan for our economy is only at most to the next election. In the past, it seemed like we had bad politicians, but at least they were looking a little further down the road. Yeah, their policies might crater everything, but it might be 10 years off or something like that. Now it's, uh, I don't know, six months, and that's enough because it's past the next election. These guys are willing to do anything. And it isn't just Democrats. As we know from this Kevin McCarthy thing, as I said earlier, there were, there were a couple of 
people on there. I mean, Ken Buck didn't surprise me all that much. I keep going back and forth on that, but no, he really doesn't. Nancy Mace is the one that surprises me the most. I really hadn't read her as being with the rest of this group. And I heard her interviewed, and she's kind of uh, a little cagey on this, but she's holding the position that he broke his promises, McCarthy did, and uh, that was enough. Like I've said in the past, I interviewed uh, McCarthy on this radio show a few years ago, and, you know, he was likable. He answered questions well, uh, pretty quick on his feet. You know, I mean, I personally, he was likable. And I had my own concerns about him being a little squishy on issues when he took the speakership. But I think given his razor-thin uh, majority and the way people go off in all directions with that tiny majority, he probably did okay. Uh you know, the Republicans are the masters of the circular firing squad, and they are quick to divide themselves up. You know, the enemy lots of times in military operations wants to divide and conquer. The uh, Republicans the last few years have decided to divide themselves and then surrender, apparently. Uh, they're willing to do the dividing themselves. Anyway. All right, everybody, we're back for the third segment here. Thanks a lot for sticking around. We appreciate it. Trick Wagner getting it right on Kansas Z. KGLN and the internet and, uh, you know, podcasting and whatever else, uh, we can get people to listen to. Appreciate you joining us, uh, for the third segment here, coming around the bottom of the horn there. Uh, I wanted to, uh, bring up a couple of things before I forgot. One of them was, and you may have heard this by now, but if you heard Joe Biden at this press conference on Friday answer a question about the economy and you think that Somebody has got their hand at the tiller in the White House that's named Joe Biden. I don't know how you can keep thinking that. I'm going to try and play this here for you. This is uh, see if you can hear it. He gets a question, and then uh, see if you can make any sense out of this answer. I started your remarks here today by saying it was good news today with the economic report. Why do you think most people still don't feel positive or feel good news about the economy? Well, first of all, you just heard the news today, too. They haven't heard it. I think the people, those 300-plus thousand people who got jobs, feel better about the economy. I, look, i got to choose my words here. You all are not the happiest people in the world. What's your report? And I mean it sincerely. It gets a more little, you get more legs when you're reporting something that's negative. I don't mean, I don't mean you're picking on me. I'm just the nature of things. You turn on the television. And there's not a whole lot about boy saves dog as he swims in the lake, you know, to say, you know, it's about, you know, somebody pushed the dog in the lake. I mean, I, I, I get it, but if you just listen to what's going on around the world. Yeah. Well, how does that feel pretty comfortable? And they used to say, oh, you know, it's how bad this is that uh, Trump has a nuclear football. Well, this guy's got the nuclear football. Uh, I think he thinks it is an actual football, if he remembers what that is. So uh, that makes you feel pretty good. By the way, that pause you heard in there towards the end, yeah, that was him just stopping and staring off into space. Uh, it's uh, It doesn't fill you with a lot of uh, confidence, right? And that's what other world leaders see when they take a look out there, and especially our enemies. So you got to feel a little bit of concern, at least at the national defense level, if not every other level, uh, when you hear stuff like that. 
Anyway, I thought you guys should hear it. That's uh, that's Joe. He's out there. Uh, you know, he's never been cooler. Remember, he's the cool president now. You know, speaking of government here, I have some notes I wanted to get to, and there's some stuff that uh, Victor Davis Hanson wrote. I know. I love his stuff. It just slams into you what goes on with uh, the progressives when they get total control of something. And he's writing, and I put this up on the website, rickwagnershow.com. It's called California the Great Destroyer, and that catches your eye, right? And I just want to read you a couple of samples of it, what he talks about was happening in California, because this, this can, will happen anywhere that progressives like this seize control of all the branches of the government. You know, in California, there isn't a single statewide office that's held by a Republican. And I think that there is like uh, 15 out of 50-some or something. I'd have to go back and look again of uh, people in the legislature. They have a supermajority that are Republicans, so they can just get anything through they want. And they also uh, probably can override a veto, but why would they? Because most of the time, Gavin Newsom signs anything that comes before him unless he thinks it's going to give him some bad press somewhere else. So here's here's something that VDH brings up. In 1996, the California legislature created a high-speed rail authority, and that right off the bat you know, is going to be a problem. And in 2008, they passed a $33 billion bond to build an 800-mile project to link Sacramento with San Diego. All right, that's 800 miles. That seems uh, a lot per mile, right? And who exactly is going to ride this? And, you know, I mean, $33 billion? Now, you have to say that the people in California that are responsible for this, they voted for this. And after the string of money-wasting failures that they've had there, you'd think they would know better, but apparently not. So you can't completely blame the legislature. So 15 years later, the plan has been scaled down. So now this... Soon to be, as they would say, which we'll see if it ever happens, high-speed rail is now going to go from Bakersfield to Merced, California. It isn't even half finished yet. It's only 178 miles instead of the 800 miles, right? The cost for the project now is estimated to be nearly $130 billion. And if they don't get it done over the next quarter century, they think that could double. And they also, as he points out, say that planners say they don't think there'll be likely to be much high-speed rider demand from the San Joaquin Valley residents willing to pay $86 to travel to supposed, supposed 200 miles per hour from Bakersfield to Merced. Uh, think about that. It, it's, it's absolutely crazy when you think about that. Now, if you go out to California, I guess you can see some Stonehenge-looking um, monuments out there that are part of this high-speed rail thing that have just been out, some of which have been for many years sitting out there. And that is emblematic of what happens, right? That's that's how this goes. Everything that they touch is either ridiculous, well, it is ridiculous and wildly overpriced. They can't stay with any budget. No matter how large the budget, they can't stay within it. It becomes gigantic. And they also cannot get anything done. And part of the problem is that they have so tied not only businesses, private enterprise, they even tied themselves up with regulation, red tape, standards, environmental standards, constant and study, 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 so that uh, even in the best of times, you're not going to get a whole lot of uh, movement, right? Uh, You're just not. You're not going to have the opportunity there to have a quick resolution of anything. 
And, and that's something that you just have to think about as, like we say, a laboratory experiment. This is what happens historically when progressives are completely in charge. Everything goes to heck, right? I mean, it, I've never seen anything like it that is so constant. We talk all the time now about, uh, you know, go woke, go broke, this and that. Yeah, well, it's, it's worse than that, isn't it? Uh, it's go, go woke, go broke, drive everybody else broke, and don't let anybody do anything or say anything. That seems the way it goes. Uh, New York also has a little problem, of course. As I told you earlier, you know, Mayor Adams has been down, you know, on TV trying to tell people not to come to New York, which people are just making fun of him, including the migrants that are in New York. Uh, apparently, he's was also going to Ecuador. <laughs> so he could walk around and get his picture taken, I guess. I don't know what he thinks he's doing. Uh, he's another example. That's why I mentioned him. We're not in New York here, and I doubt if a whole lot of people are listening in New York, maybe a few. And that's what happens. That's who you get when you're a one-party system. You get him, you get Kamala Harris. Right? You get Gavin Newsom. You get Brandon Johnson in Chicago who's even worse than his predecessor. He's also going to go to the border, by the way. So the mayor of Chicago is going to go to the border to inspect what's going on down there. Is that is that possibly going to make any kind of difference in Chicago? Uh, what, what are you going to be doing down there? He's not going to want the border closed. He's going to want them just to send them to somewhere else. No, they've been lobbying to try and get, the left has been lobbying to try and come up with some way to keep migrants in Texas. I don't think they'll be able to do that. And Josh Hawley, uh, Senator Josh Hawley, has put a bill forward that I don't think will go anywhere in the, in the legislature it is, as it is configured now. But I like the idea, which would give the authority to the states to deport illegal aliens. See, right now they can't do that. It's totally up to the federal government because in the days when people weren't crazy, they figured the federal government should be in charge of the border, not having states, you know, be in charge of it and have different applications and of the law and everything else, which can make sense. But nobody envisioned this kind of craziness. So now the states get overrun. The federal government will do nothing. And the state of the law is that they're not supposed to do anything with uh, deportations or even immigration that way. And it just goes on and on. And they have no intention of changing it. Even if by some odd chance this were to pass from Josh Hawley through the uh, Senate and then even the House, uh, of course Biden would just veto it. Not going to give states that kind of authority. I mean, really, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, I would have said it was a bad idea to break that uh, bond of having the federal government controlling immigration because... It would have let California, God knows what California would have done. Well, now it doesn't matter because the federal government's not doing anything. California is completely happy with it, apparently. Uh, there's something like a third of the population in California that wasn't born in the United States. And I think that I read someplace they have 40% of the homeless in the United States. They have, uh, or the unhoused, excuse me. Um, and they have a terrific percentage of people on welfare. I'd have to look that up, or on state assistance of some sort. And a tremendous amount of them are also uh, 
on uh, CalMed, or is it MedCal? I can't remember which, which is the Medicaid portion of California's project on trying to get health care to, apparently, universally. It's run very poorly. It's extremely expensive, and it's eating up huge amounts of the budget. I mean, California, which used to have budget surpluses, is now running tremendous deficits and trying to figure out how to pay it. Yet they will not stop these ways of spending. So look at that. This is this is the future if you're not paying attention. We often talk about how trends start in California. Well, we see how the trends in California have spread now. Now, where I'm at in Colorado, it does look like uh, we're trying to head that direction. There's a lot of people with room temperature IQs in the legislature that think that anything happens to California is just Jim Dandy as far as they're concerned, and we should do that here. I worry about some of the citizenry here, uh, not so much the western slope, but uh, kind of the state in general and the eastern slope for sure. And like I keep saying, this in Colorado we have no more bags, right? No more plastic bags of any kind. And if you want a bag, sometimes I guess you get a plastic bag, but there's no more than a free, uh, or a paper bag, you have to pay a dime. And I think seven cents of that goes to the state and three cents of it goes to the store. Well, like I've said before, I mean, the stores were paying for bags before. Now you're paying them if you want one. And I would think that people would be more upset about it. Now, I know that they are. I mean, everybody grumbles about it. Uh, that they're being sent in with their little sack to carry their groceries home. Some people, of course, like it because it's virtue signaling in some bizarre way to uh, pack your uh, vegetables in a bag that's probably crawling with bacteria after a while. But nevertheless, there doesn't seem to be any movement to try and repeal this. You know, we could put together a uh, citizen initiative, put it on the ballot to repeal that prohibition. But I don't see anybody doing it. If they are, I haven't read about it. And it disturbs me a little bit. Because even though it seems like a small thing, it doesn't seem like a small thing every time you go to the store. It's very irritating, and it takes you a lot longer to check out. And if you bring your own bag, you, you know, it's no fun. It, it seems to me that if you allow things of that size, small as they may be, but as impactful on some daily thing you do or weekly thing you do, and are, allow that to just slide without any kind of real voice against it, what else will you let happen? I mean, a government that you don't say anything to when they tell you you can't get a bag from a store to carry your groceries home in is likely to do a lot of other stuff especially if there's no line drawing by the population to say, hey, that's too far for us. That's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And if you ask them why they did it, I mean, it gets really fuzzy fast about, you know, what this is supposed to be doing. And we are all, of course, becoming serfs to the idea of climate change. And everything is climate change. Everything contributes to it. Everything is caused by it. Uh, there's no natural disaster on the planet that isn't caused by it. There's no possible outcome of uh, anything over the next 10 years. It isn't affected by climate change. They've even said that the 
uh, char, excuse me, <laughs> the uh, challenges for the military, our military, uh, is of course fueled by climate change. There you go. Because they see these, uh, this is the theory, oh, these populations move because of climate change. Populations have always moved because of climate. Uh, droughts, uh, the, uh, or rather too much rain. I mean, we have, we do have climate change. We call it weather. And sometimes there has been shifts in the climate for hundreds of years. Long before we were putting any carbon into it. I guess maybe campfires, but beyond that, no carbon. And there has been changes in the patterns of the weather, which people now like to refer to as climate change. And that has happened. I mean, I've talked on here about a, a 300-year period uh, in you know about 1170 B.C. that we have that you know changed the whole migration patterns and the civilizations in the Mediterranean area. We have the Little Ice Age. We have uh, the warming trend in Europe. They're all taking place during what we th- refer to sort of as the Middle Ages. No one explains those. No one was driving their SUVs, uh, you know, in uh, the 15th century around in France. So what what was going on? No explanations for that. Not of any real weight, anyway. There's a bunch of stuff we don't even understand about what's happened in our own country. Well, rather, our own world, I'm sorry. Uh, For those of you that haven't watched, and I believe it's on Netflix... Netflix or Prime, I'm sorry, I can't remember. Uh, it's uh, Ancient Apocalypse, I think, with uh, Graham Hancock. And I, I think I mentioned, I mentioned it before. It's his discussion that there's a lot of theorists out there that think that uh, civilization on Earth is older than they think. And it isn't some flying saucer thing or hollow Earth thing or something like that. It's just that they believe, these these folks out there that, you know, advance this theory, and they have some pretty good arguments. And if you watch Graham Hancock's show on, uh, I believe it is Netflix, but uh, you'll be able to see a lot of very difficult to refute evidence that they found about things just being older. You know, that when we thought it was 10,000 years, it looks more like it might be, you know, 30,000 years, things like that. And that there may have been a little more advanced civilization that disappeared or almost disappeared completely because of changes in the climate, a cataclysmic event perhaps even. We do think that a, that a comet may have hit the Earth at one point, a couple of times actually, not just the dinosaurs. And there's a lot to be said for that. And science, of course, is settled now in this decade. There is no, uh, there is no more exploration. We know everything. It's all settled science. So the archaeologists are, you know, oh, oh, they're all up up in arms about this because it undermines some of their theories. And like I said, it, it isn't a crazy theory. We don't have any UFOs floating the pyramids over places. That's not what it's about. And just uh, yesterday, I read a story out in New Mexico where they have found uh, footprints in a stream bed. This is all kind of cool. Uh, footprints in a stream bed, they think about 15,000 years old. Well, that's older than the, all the theories that they had about when the first humans came to North America. It goes directly against all the theories and the years about people coming over the land bridge, I think about 10,000 years ago from Russia and all that. No. no, that's where do these footprints come from? So that all by itself is something that shows you that archaeology, like almost all sciences, is not settled. 
New discoveries can be made, people need to change their mind, and yet we're held hostage by an idea on climate that there's no room for error from the other side. Or I guess we could say that they don't make any error on their side. They already know what's going to happen. And this is especially troubling when you consider that their predictions over the last 20 years, longer than that, have been wildly off. None of them have happened. And yet they keep putting them out there. Now, so far, we've had like two years before the climate collapses. I don't know how many times. Two years, five years, eight years. Now, you know, I've I've saved someplace again the cover of Time magazine from the 70s where they were all concerned about global cooling, right? That then there was going to be another ice age. And, and at that time, I think people thought that was sort of settled science, but we weren't really into this tyrannical approach to everything where there's one narrative that's correct and other narratives that are not only incorrect, but they're somehow evil and have to be fought against. And the people have to be disciplined for even putting them forward against the narrative. But at least back then, they continued to say, well, it was a theory, although they had some pretty crazy ideas. I think I I mentioned to you that one of the ideas was to spread a black substance. I think it was soot and the type thing over parts of the uh, Arctic to reflect so that we would... (laughs) so that it would draw the sunlight in and it would stay warmer and it wouldn't form more ice and cover the globe in ice like another ice age. And we don't even look back at that and say, you know, that wasn't that long ago. And we're also all the time measuring temperatures as the hottest it's ever been. When you consider the thermometer, and I have to look at look at how old this is, but I can pretty much tell you that in um, 1100 A.D., they really didn't have sophisticated thermometers. Uh, so this whole hottest it's ever been thing is just nonsense. And we just continue to lap it up. I don't know how long uh, people will take this or at what point we'll all feel like that we're just hemmed in, that there's been enough control gathered from the left that that's just what it's going to be. And you can believe it or not believe it, but you better not say you don't believe it. Or you're going to be canceled in some way. And I don't think that that seems very far off now. If I would have told you this stuff five years ago, even, that the sorts of things will happen to you if you oppose certain theories or even if you question them, you would have thought that I was a conspiracy theory nut. You know, you would have thought, oh, no, no, that, that, that's not going to happen here. Well, yeah, I mean, things that I used to think were wildly unlikely uh, are happening. <laughs> so think about where we're at and what we're doing and how we have to constantly push back because the left never rests.